welcome to my hearth. Now we've spent quite a few episodes exploring the deep spiritual significance of storytelling. And one of the things that we've come up a lot with is the fight between good and evil. Now in storytelling, this is often described as a story having a moral basis to it, a a morality tale. Now I hope you can cast your mind back to when we were talking about those little plays that were done through the streets of a town by the local guildsmen, depicting the life of Christ, and they were known as miracle plays. They were so popular, and the church realised the power that they had in educating the local people into the ways of good behaviour, that they expanded the whole genre and included the idea of the morality play. This had a central character who was very often an ordinary person, and he was facing a dilemma. He was going through a struggle about whether he was going to do a right thing or a wrong thing. Was he going to be on the side of good or on the side of bad? Now, in the plays, this struggle became personified. Literally, good and evil became characters in the play. Sometimes it was a good angel and a bad angel, or it would be an angel and a demon. Now, in the medieval world, the populace believed that we all had a good angel and a bad angel that we couldn't see but sat on our shoulders and who literally whispered into our ears so that the voices that we heard in our heads were coming from outside us in the spiritual realm. The good angel sat on your right side and the bad angel sat on your left side. It's interesting, isn't it, that the Roman word for left is sinistra, which is where we get the word sinister from. Moreover, in those medieval times, if you spilt salt, then you literally picked it up and threw it over your left shoulder into the eyes of the bad angel. I don't know how you view it, but uh, it's very interesting, isn't it, to think of this idea of those dilemmas that we face in our brain where we literally argue with ourselves as being a discussion with spiritual beings. It's either really simplistic or extremely multi-layered and complicated. But of course, it's one way of explaining the continuous dialogue that's going on in our conscious mind all the time and continues when we're asleep. Now, in these morality tales, the soul of the hero is literally being fought over by the good and the bad angel. When the plays started to have 
small amounts of scenery, this fight would be symbolised by there being the gates of heaven on one side of the stage and the gates of hell or the mouth of hell on the other side of the stage. The hero could either go to paradise or be taken struggling down to hell. Remember that at the time of the plays, the majority of people couldn't read, so if there was going to be a philosophical argument, it could only literally be played out in front of the audience by people speaking it for real. The dilemmas had to be big, so that people could say, as the ancient Greeks did, if I was that hero... How would I respond? What's my relationship to morality? Just as the Greeks said, what's my relationship to the gods? Again, it's amazing that these morality tales have continued to exist, the most famous of them being every man, where the central character becomes a symbol, a cipher for us all. Because we all face these dilemmas all the time in our lives, we are fascinated by the fight between good and evil and are always asking these moral questions. We are always hoping that we're going to make the right decisions and when we are following stories we also hope that the characters that we like make the right decisions and that all goes well for them. To misquote Oscar Wilde in The Importance of Being Earnest, the good died happily and the bad died unhappily. That is what fiction means. There has also been a big increase in the popular genre of the revenge film, where the central character has something that goes wrong in their lives and then takes revenge throughout the rest of the film but we'll talk about those another time. Now, in terms of storytelling, this idea of the morality tale shows itself very strongly in the fairy tale, where the hero goes through a lot of trials and tribulations before they reach happiness at the end. Once upon a time very often ends with happily ever after. Another good example of the morality tale is the modern British pantomime. Well, I say modern, it actually really started in the 19th century. The medieval morality plays were very often written in verse. That was because it was much easier to learn verse. We have a natural ear for rhyme. Nursery rhymes are, by definition, in rhyme. That's how we remember them. The medieval actor having to learn the lines of a morality tale would learn it in rhyme. It was easier to learn, but also it was easier on the ear of the medieval audience who would then pick up on it and hopefully remember it. The morality characters in pantomime, very often speak in this rhyme, rhyming couplets. Two lines which rhyme together. 
the modern pantomime characters aren't angels, but the good angel would very often be a fairy, and the bad angel would be a demon king, or in the case of Dick Whittington, the good angel is the spirit of Bow Bells, and the bad angel is King Rat. At the end of the pantomime, all of the characters have now bought into the idea of the morality tale, and so the last lines of a panto are often all spoken in verse by all of the characters. They have become morality people. Again to slightly misquote Paul Knight's Mother Goose, and now a word from Mother Goose before our story ends. It doesn't matter how you look, so long as you've got friends. I've performed that pantomime more than any other panto, and it's really good to know that you've got the audience on your side when they chime in with friends without you bidding them to. Also, speaking in the rhyming couplets is a good sign and signal to the audience that the people who are talking are part of the morality fable. One of the most powerful pieces as part of the pantomime is the fact that at the end of it, the bad character is not punished as in a revenge tragedy, but actually turns over a new leaf and becomes good, and we often find out why they have behaved so badly in the first place. Again, the evil character can sometimes be a witch. I'm thinking about the the bad fairy or the witch character in Sleeping Beauty, who curses Sleeping Beauty with falling asleep for a hundred years. There's the evil, beautiful queen in Snow White, whose jealousy has led her into seeking revenge on her own stepdaughter. And again, archetypally, witches are very often seen as negative characters. In the last episode, we talked about the white witch in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, who has her origins in the Snow Queen of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale. Now, why are witches seen as being negative characters? Well, in morality terms, it's which side are they drawing their power from? There have been a lot of modern grey area storytelling tropes where witches can be seen as doing good things. But in general morality tale terms, if the power is not being drawn from God, where is it being drawn from? Even if it's pre-Christian elemental powers, it therefore is not God. It's a pagan force, whichever way you look at it. It's using God's creation, but not asking him to do it. Its power is incantation and not prayer. It's tapping into a power that is not the provision of the Holy Ghost. 
and therefore things can go wrong, and you are opening a door which you have no control to shut. It's playing God. As storytelling has got more complex and complicated, many layers have been seen in these supernatural stories. Science fantasy, where we're dealing with a different sort of world, very often has characters that have got magical powers that are on the side of good. But if we go back to the ancient Greek storytelling, sorcerers are seen as negative creations. Odysseus has to deal with an enchantress who turns his crew into pigs because she wants to have him all for herself. Witches in the Bible are seen as very negative forces. If you come from a Christian background, it's always very worrying uh, when you have a character who has magical powers, because again, where has the power come from? I am always surprised and amazed about how strongly America, who claims to be a very religious Christian country, has embraced the whole idea of Halloween with its fantasy trick-and-treat evening. I know it makes me sound very old, but when I was little, of course, there was no trick-or-treat in this country. We were much more geared up to burning an effigy of a possible murderer of the king on Guy Fawkes Night, and we weren't interested in um, Halloween. Now, whatever your feelings are about witches, obviously modern storytelling is still including these characters and has become very successful. And we'll talk more about this next time.